Welcome everyone to the Top Producer Podcast. This is Paul Neefer, your host, and today we're going to have a conversation with David Muth from People's Company Capital Markets. I think I got that correct, didn't I, Dave? Sure did. Okay. So uh, and now, Dave, we've had you on before, but uh, uh, why don't we, just for the listeners out there that maybe haven't heard that or or it's been a while, just give us a quick uh, background on who you are and all that good stuff. You bet. So uh, thanks, Paul, for uh, letting me join today. Um, I am a North Isle farm kid. I'm sort of a classic product of the 80s, uh, back when it was uh, challenging and got shipped off to school and trained up as an engineer, spent a number of years in advanced biofuels and during the George Bush II cellulosic ethanol days. And then I built an ag tech startup out of Ames called Ag Stalver uh, back in about 2013. And we were focused on uh, profitability and precision ag as it would relate to uh, that sort of subfield understanding of financials and then some planning tools. We exited that company in 2017 uh, to EFC Systems. And then uh, shortly after that, probably early 2019, I've uh, been working with uh, Steve Brewer and building out the capital markets uh, division of uh, People's Company, where we're helping investors get capital placed into farmland. Yeah, and and I I would say that based on what I've seen and heard and 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 done some podcasts on, there's a lot more outside capital coming into ag. I mean, we've always had outside capital, whether it's been life insurance companies or pension plans, but now we have a lot more. Um, you know, private equity, family offices, they're going into ag. Is is that the trend that you're also seeing? Yeah, I would say so. We've certainly had a lot of uh, phone calls and uh, various conversations with folks that have started to understand what farmland is as an investment grade asset class. Uh, one particular characteristic, if we look over the last, let's call it three to four years, has been its inflation hedge characteristics. You know, farmland is um, absolutely the premier sort of real asset in terms of an inflation hedge that spread over CPI going back even to 1970 is is very consistent. And that that has certainly garnered a lot of attention. And then uh, we've seen some interesting dynamics with cap rate compression in other more traditional asset real asset classes. And that's that's made folks take a little bit closer look at farmland. So a short answer, yes, we definitely we're definitely seeing some more uh, investment capital interested in the asset class. And then there's a fairly robust sort of venture capital space that's working on trying to bring farmland to retail investors, right? Folks that uh, would like those investment characteristics, uh, but maybe can't go buy a farm on their own. So it, it's a pretty robust space. Uh, we generally think we're seeing a, a lot of efficiency come into the capitalization of the asset class. Yeah, and, and of course, in my background, many, many years ago, I was a part owner, one third owner of a 1031 exchange company acted as a the term is qualified intermediary where we brought, uh, you know, we were the middle person that allowed the person to sell the farmland. They had used some somebody like our firm in order to hold the money and then they'd end up buying maybe other farmland. And we also now have a term called DST, Delaware Statutory Trust. And I think you have an offering yourself that uh, 
is dealing with some farmland. So let's let's dive into what a DST is. You bet. So uh, Delaware Statutory Trust, as the namesake suggests, was created in Delaware, uh, administered by Delaware law. It is a uh, Regulation D security uh, and all of the rules that come with that. And it, it functions a little bit different uh, than a typical 1031 exchange in that what you're exchanging into is beneficial ownership, beneficial interest within a trust. So a real asset is uh, set up, purchased, and owned by this trust. And then 1031 exchange investors can essentially scale the size of their exchange into beneficial interest of that trust. It uh, fits a lot of the dynamics. It's direct passive ownership. Uh, you can have one or more properties pulled into a DST. Um, key sort of takeaway is that a DST is eligible for exchange both into and out of the DST structure. The latest metrics that we've heard is that marketplace is north of 10 billion a year. It's pretty robust. Uh, there's not a lot going on in farmland. The, most commonly, it's going to be commercial and multifamily residential, industrial office, storage um, kinds of DSTs. And it's a pretty active marketplace. Um, one of the really interesting dynamics that you have with the TS, uh, DST relative to the 1031 exchange process is it actually reduces quite a bit of risk around uh, deal structuring and getting deals closed. Uh, for folks that have gone through this, you know that there's a little bit of anxiousness in hitting your windows, your yeah. period of time for identifying properties and then ultimately being able to have them closed. Uh, DST is already there. The trust is set up. The asset is pulled into the trust. That entire structure is there. So when you identify it, um, you, you don't have that same risk around the deals getting closed. Yeah, and, and you had mentioned that so just for the listeners out there, when you enter into an exchange, you have up to 45 days to identify the property you want to purchase. And typically we're looking at the three, you can identify three parcels or three, three pieces of uh, real estate. You can go more than that, but you know, that's beyond probably the scope of this, of this call or this podcast. But then after that time frame, you only have another 135 days or 180 days total in order to actually purchase those three properties. And let's say that you identified three uh, farms that were gonna go to auction and you go to the auction and you can't buy any of those three. Well, now you're out of luck. You've actually blown the exchange. You can't go back and do a do-over. So as David is saying, by identifying the, the DST and interest in the DST, uh, that window is, is gives you a lot of flexibility to close about any time during that period. Uh, so on, on your, um, like on your DST for the listeners out there, go ahead and describe what, what the property is in, in, and so on. You bet. So the offering that we have active right now, it's actually two farms in Washington state. Um, a noted acre trader is our broker dealer that's helping administer uh, the offering to the investors. So folks that, that are interested, uh, feel free to go to acretrader.com and you can get a lot more information. We're calling this Central Washington Farms DST. 
And uh, these two assets are really unique uh, from each other, right? And Paul, you understand uh, really well this, this sort of part of the country and how dynamic it is. Uh, one of the assets is uh, 240 acres of irrigated uh, farmland within the uh, East Columbia Basin Irrigation District. So, you know, from our perspective, it's about as solid of irrigation water source as you're going to find uh, on the planet, right? Yep, really yep. solid and um, really high productivity ground because that water is so uh, readily available. Um, it'll be in a primary potato and uh, potentially onion rotation with some uh, rotational crops for some cattle feed lots nearby, corn, silage, uh, potentially some alfalfa uh, in, in those off years. But it's really driven by that uh, sort of higher value potato onion crop. Uh, the other farm, while it's not terribly far away, it's just uh, 30, 40 miles as the crow flies, is a much different kind of property. It's yep. a dry land wheat property. Uh, it's a, a little over 2,100 acres. And it's in a 9 to 10 inch rainfall area. Uh, right on the edge of that whole Palouse region, which is really well known, obviously, for producing high quality uh, winter wheat. And it'll be in a wheat fallow rotation. And, it, you know, it's pretty typical of, of those farms and uh, in that in that region. And one of the interesting dynamics that we really like about partnering these two op, uh, farms together in the DST is their, their financial characteristics, if you look at uh, the, the asset class broadly in that region, have really complementary sort of outcomes. The uh, dryland wheat farm will perform a little bit better on an annual cash yield basis, uh, but the long-term history, they don't appreciate it quite the same rate as the irrigated assets will. The irrigated assets will have a, a slightly lower cash yield uh, cap rate on an annual basis, but the appreciation is really consistent, particularly in an irrigation district like this one where the water's so stable. So partnering these assets up uh, into an offering, uh, we kind of create a really nice hedge across um, you know, a number of different potential outcomes uh, in the marketplace. So, like I say, you're partnering these together. So a person that's interested in the um, the real estate out there would be buying an interest in both parcels. Is that correct? That's correct. The trust owns both parcels and uh, that the beneficial interest in the trust will cover both farms. So a lot of people are going hey this this i'm i'm interested but does that mean i'm going to get a k1 or what is the and and david you may or may not know the tax reporting i i know it but i'll, I'll we'll, we'll find out if you know how the tax reporting is is done on these dsts yeah, it's an interesting dynamic, and uh, certainly uh, we've got our folks on the accounting side. Uh, professional services will will handle all of the uh, sort of annual tax reporting, and we'll give all of the annual reports. Um, I do believe that we we kick a K one out on these. Is that correct? Actually, it's it's not a K one per se. What it is is it's um, so essentially the owner of the DST, so the real estate investor, the farmer, let's say it's the farmer, it doesn't even have to be a farmer. It could be somebody that's got a, 
you know, apartment building in Des Moines and wants to roll over into farmland, when they come into that DST, they are, as David said originally, they're a beneficial owner. So it, you have to pretend like that the um, that you own that land, a chunk of that land individually. So you're actually going to get a report that says, hey, your rental income was this, your uh, maybe your expenses were this, and then any depreciation, like like Dave says, on the irrigated ground, there may be some pivots, there's some, uh, no, not wells, but there's some mainline structure uh, as far as the irrigation. So there might be some depreciation. So you'll actually stick this on your own Schedule E on your 1040. So uh, it's similar to a K-1, but not exactly a K-1. So uh, I, I sort of threw something to you out of left field there, Dave. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, no, that's no problem. And uh uh, you know, certainly we've got the, uh, within the context of the structure, we've got uh, professional services to make sure all of those reports are done and um, all of the financials are handed over in a clean way. So that's an annual reporting that uh, you'll be able to see how all of that works within the uh, private placement memorandum and the investment documents if you are interested at that acretrader.com site. And I actually, I had a uh, podcast with Acre Trader, I think about six months ago. So uh, uh, they, they do, do a very good job. They, they have lots of offerings and and you're right. I think having the dry land and the irrigated together does give you some, um, some extra, maybe not necessarily negative correlation, but like you say, the dry lands may be on the uh, on the rental side, a little bit more cash rent, but less appreciation. Whereas over on the irrigation side, uh, you know, a little bit less return from cash, but definitely more return from appreciation. So, how long typically would the would the DST go? Yeah, so so we have a stated hold period between five and ten years. So all of the pro formas, all of the financial projections are on a ten year basis. Uh, what we've seen, and, and we've done one other DST, it was an Arkansas asset, um, we, we found a market opportunity that really just created an excellent outcome for the investors, uh, beneficial interest owners. And so, it, you know, it's absolutely possible that uh, if an outcome like that emerges uh, just from market conditions, that it could be shorter than that. But the, the target hold period is that five to 10 years and and then it would be a, a disp there would be a disposition and a distribution of funds, hopefully for folks to have another exchange. Right, and that that is the benefit of the DST since it is technically real estate. Uh, the person that rolled their let's say their farm or other asset into the DST, they can then roll it out of the DST, maybe into another DST or into fee simple interest in farmland or a building or whatever it might be so uh, yeah now is there a, a time frame on how long this offering will will last or what's what's how how does that work yeah so so dsts can be open uh until they get fully funded right there's there's an opportunity for folks to come in um over time uh, this one, as we've looked at the acquisition and the mechanisms we use to get the assets acquired, uh, you know, over the next few months, we really uh, are planning on having this offering full. It's about 6.2 million uh, in total offering size. It is a 100% equity deal. So we don't have debt. And this, this is important for exchange investors to understand. Paul, you know the rules quite well, but uh, in order to 
have a full equity exchange, uh, you know, you have uh, to deal with if if your exchange, your sale that created the exchange dollars had debt on it. There's there's quite a few rules associated yep. with that that folks need to think about. And then, uh, you know, our minimum investment size on this is $100,000. So uh, that that's one quick note going back to the benefits of DSTs is this notion of excess boot on an exchange. When you played out your example from an auction standpoint, it's not always easy. So you've got your time constraints, 45 days to identify, 180 days to close, the deal risk associated with that. And it's another complexity to come in and match up scale of the dollars you have to exchange with the assets that are interesting. And so a DST is a great tool for what we call excess boot. Um, hypothetical, maybe you you have two and a half million uh, from a disposition that you want to exchange, found a great $2 million property, you'd still prefer not to pay the taxes on that extra 500000 And so a DST is a great tool uh, for being able to scale accordingly. Yeah, you're able to take that excess that you can't roll over into the property you want and then just roll it over into the DST and and you ultimately uh, deferred the gain on on that DST. And one thing I think that people sometimes don't understand. I, I get this question fairly often. So I have a um, I have land that I paid you know four hundred thousand dollars for, and it's now worth a million dollars. And I'm going to roll it over into uh, land that's worth let's say eight hundred thousand. And they think that the four hundred thousand uh, that part of that basis. So you got to excess 200,000, you're going to be taxed on, but a lot of them think, Hey, I get to take part of that 400,000, maybe 20% of it and offset it against that $200,000 excess. And it doesn't work that way. That excess is dollar for dollar gain. So you're going to have a $200,000 gain. Whereas if you take that 200,000, roll it over into a DST, you've completely deferred that taxable gain. So, um, yeah, so I'm actually on the website right now, Dave, looking at the property. Uh, you know, that's not too far from where I grew up. Uh, probably, I'm going to guess it's about, uh, oh, as the crow flies, 60, 70 miles north of where I grew up. So I'm very, very familiar with that country. So uh, anything else that you want to add on on the DST side? No, I think uh, I really appreciate you uh, giving some time here to, to, for us to to talk through. I'd encourage folks to to take a peek. I, you know, one thing that that I guess we would try and encourage folks to think about if you're into farmland investing and you're wanting some of those characteristics of farmland, but you don't necessarily have an exchange right now. One one potential option for folks to consider is. If you get cash into the DST, maybe it's not exchange cash coming in, but you can then exchange it out, right? And now you are uh, taking um, non-exchange money, uh, sort of fresh cash, so to speak, and getting it into a um, exchangeable process to be able to carry all of those, uh, you know, uh, tax deferral and uh, long-term stepped-up basis uh, kinds of outcomes that are really beneficial. Yeah. So, so. The offering here is not necessarily strictly for people rolling in 1031 money. They can invest in it as just a regular investment. Is that correct? That is absolutely correct. And, and there's a significant um, number of the current commitments into the offering 
that uh, actually fall into that category. Okay, good, good. So uh, I think uh, you're you're almost done with harvest. Is that right? We're getting there. Yeah, there's uh, about 450 acres left. Uh, you know, we had a number of uh, farms that suffered from the drought conditions this year. And we've been kind of trying to get those out because, you, you know, the, the corn can will cannibalize the plant to try and fill the um, kernels yeah. and the ears and then it starts to fall. So now we're into some of the stuff that got a little bit more rain, a little bit better soils, and it's a little bit more fun to see actual yield numbers on the machine. Yeah, I, I was back uh, actually, didn't quite get to harvest my field, but uh, I was in a field where definitely you had a lot of variability, you know, where it was really sandy, you know, the monitor went down, well, there was a few spots in this one field that I was cutting where the monitor was showing zeros, and it was definitely... I looked down there and I didn't see a I didn't see a corn cob anywhere for about uh, 50 feet. And then there's other parts that popped over 300 once or twice. But uh, uh, I can't remember what the average was. But uh, I, I guess I did a good enough job because they told me next year I have to come back and cut for three or four days. So, uh, you know, I, <laughs> I, I, I didn't mess it up too badly. I only spilled corn once. So that that was OK. So that that's a big win. That's yeah. a big. Yeah, yeah, it's it's been an incredibly dynamic year where we. Uh, over, oh, let's call it about a 20 mile spread. Uh, we've got farms that are uh, under 100 bushel field average, just really, really droughted out sandy soils uh, up into the 240s. Um, and so it's it's been really dynamic this year. Yeah, I, I know my Missouri corn, we had a wind event and um, I had a, a quarter section basically flat to the ground you know they were deadheading the cutting and then i had a 40 acre section that the uh there was some uh, trees that protected it from the wind and the in the tree protected corn did 240 i think 245 and the others did about 170 so you know that's that's just the reality so uh, again dave thanks for uh taking time out of your uh out of your day out of harvest to, to share this uh uh, offering it again for the listeners out there that are interested just go to acre acre trader so a-c-r-e-t-r-a-d-e-r.com and you can uh, go ahead and take a look at the offering there i think it is something that uh, some of you may be very interested in and with that this is the uh, top producer podcast and this is paul Neefer, your host signing off